Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Aikido and grappling. Joining me in this discussion is Stephen Scott. Two major things that I want to mention before we get started today. First, I want to express my heartfelt thanks to the listeners who have donated through the PayPal tip jar. Your contributions are greatly appreciated. It's the love of the martial arts which keeps us doing what we do, and at the same time, it's true for producing the content that I do on this channel. Thank you very much for your support. Second, it's been several years now since I launched the Spirit Aikido online program. Releasing new videos every few days over that time has resulted in a very large library of material. As of the recording of this podcast, we are nearly 350 videos in the program. This is a great way for you to get training and practice ideas which I've gathered from my own Aikido training, gleaned from other instructors, and taken from other arts. In the latest series, I include videos on using different parts of the body for a temi, including the head. I also cover hair grab defenses, as well as a couple of techniques where Nage initiates the contact. If you've been curious to see breakdowns of how I approach my Aikido on the mat, the videos in the Spirit Aikido online program are the best way to go. You get a great deal of content and help support the show at the same time. I encourage you to check it out. There's a link in the description. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. I want to welcome my friend Stephen Scott back to uh, Martial Wisdom and Martial Aikido's podcast. Uh, it's great to have him back. And last week we talked, I talked with Oliver Martinez about integrating striking training into Aikido practice. And now I want to talk about integrating grappling in. So Stephen came to mind uh, kind of to the top of my head because he's got such a great uh, grappling background. And it's it's not something that is very common. In fact, I'd like Stephen to kind of go into that. So welcome again, Stephen. Yeah, thank you, Tristan. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, essentially, uh, I, f I first started out doing grappling way back, like a lot of people when you start as a kid in judo. And that kind of eventually led me into some of the more striking martial arts, which were more cool at the time. But uh, especially more recently, uh, the club that I trained in Aikido in was actually a mixed club. So we did a little bit of jiu-jitsu, Aikido, jiu-jitsu, Aikido, and all my instructors were graded in that. But uh, specifically, we also, I'm one of the few instructors in Scotland licensed to teach Norwegian Laustat Glima, which is uh, essentially Scandinavian wrestling which uh, lends a very different and very unusual slant onto your particular type of training. And uh, if, if anyone ever gets the opportunity to do any kind of form of wrestling art, um, I, I don't mean WWF style, I'm talking about like uh, Greco-Roman catch wrestling, you know, anything like that. Even collegiate wrestling, I think you call it in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, if you ever get the chance to do that, do that, because it is one of the greatest levelers out there and you suddenly realize what is efficient, what is inefficient, uh, what is energy management and what is extremely exhausting mm. just in the first 15 seconds <laughs> of any kind of wrestling bout. It's extremely exhausting and yeah, it uses every single muscle in the body and it's, it forces you to stop and have a good long hard look at yourself as we say in Scotland <laughs> once you're done <laughs> you know particularly when you have to pick yourself up off the ground time after time after time so yeah it's a uh, it's it, that type of training for me personally can only benefit your Aikido practice because it is it is 100% contested from the instant it begins there's no break there's no back off there's no 
uh, if, uh, back in the old days, well, I still teach karate and I teach it to the kids. You know, it's, it's very easy to dominate a karate bout by backing off, using the room, using the area, you know, getting a breather for yourself, getting your wind back. Uh, and Gleema, Gleema has a very simple theory is that uh, you engage, you can't turn away, you must keep engaging. And the one who hits the ground first and is separate from their partner, i.e. you get your opponent on the ground or you get your partner on the ground and you break away from them while they're on the ground, you are the winner. It's purely a combat of Almost stance. has a, something in common with sumo then, because isn't sumo Extremely, about yeah. hitting one, yeah. one opponent to touch the ground with something other than his feet? And if yeah, he, absolutely. He yeah, that's it. Any part of it, when you're down, you're down. Um, it doesn't have to be the flat of the back. It can be flat on your face. It could be on your side. You'll maybe get a couple of warnings. You get a one knee warning. You can go down to your knee once. You go down to one knee twice, and basically that's it. Uh, the game's over. And um, it, it comes from the battlefield where traditionally you don't want to be rolling about on the ground with someone while horses are stampeding past you and hairy men with spears or hairy women with spears, let's face it, Scotland, uh, are trying to stab you while you're down there. And, you know, if you get the upper hand and you're holding someone down on a battlefield, it's, you've got a few seconds before someone realises you're trying to uh, drown one of their friends in a puddle of horse manure and then you get a spear through your back. It's <laughs> not long before it happens. So, yeah, the rules in Gleam are simple. Get down, engage, break away by any means possible that's not biting or scratching or clawing. You can use nerve attacks. You can not drop an elbow in, but you can place pressure through the elbows. You can put a knee on the side of someone's head if you want. Um anything you can do to try and keep them down while you break away. And if you get out of hand's reach and they're still on the ground, that's it. Sure. Well, one thing I wanted to cover to kind of launch this, because I, I've run into some pretty heavy arguments about, about whether Aikido was grappling or included grappling or should have grappling. In my opinion, Aikido is a grappling art. And if you, and then that may kind of get somebody, because some people kind of upset, but if you classify hand-to-hand -hand combat as being uh, essentially like one of the three uh, original Olympic arts, which was striking, which was uh, uh, pigmatia, and from what we know, their striking was elbows, forearms, fists, feet, knees, mm -hmm. anything you want to do impact with, that's one like group of skills. And then the grappling or the pane, which was the, the wrestling, um, as in the grappling, which is another set of skills. And then the third one was the uh, pancreation or the combined, they mm -hmm. called it all powers. It was mm -hmm. you could strike, you could grapple all of it. Um, and to me, in my mind, that that's a pretty good delineation of the combat sports, if you will, or the combat arts. Mm -hmm. And so I think if I were to classify Aikido into one of those, especially contemporary Aikido, I'd say it's pretty solidly in the grappling realm, especially for those people that don't want striking within Aikido or they don't believe it belongs or it's not there. It's certainly not trained very much. Um, every every Aikidoka that I've ever come across, their striking comes from something else. They did not learn it in Aikido. Mm -hmm. They learned it mm -hmm. from another source and then blended it in with their technique. And therefore, that's why I think that even putting it in the pancreation realm, which is everything, is is a miss because 
the it, Aikido tends to lack that striking element. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I know I've tried to fill that hole within my own training and within my dojo because I want my students to understand striking. I want them to understand how striking integrates with grappling. But if you take, you know, purely what Aikido is known for, what, which is throws and locks, all of that to me falls in the grappling category because it's not striking and it's not combined striking and grappling really. It's, it, mm -hmm. I think Aikido in its, in more of the form that Morahai Weishiba did, it probably belonged more in the pancreation realm than in the grappling realm because he employed strikes. Um, yes. As far as we, you know, as far as we know, um, and did not discourage the use of strikes either. Um, it's not like, I don't think he went through a phase where he said, okay, I'm going to take striking out of my art. I, I think it was always there. Um, and, and that's, that's fairly evident. So for those people that say, you know, no, Aikido is not grappling. If they think of grappling as being Brazilian jujitsu of, you know, being twisted up on the ground, then, then no, Aikido is not that type of grappling, but by using, um, your body, essentially manipulating somebody else's body that to me defines grappling would, would you agree with that yeah yeah absolutely it's anything that i mean the very first thing that we deal with in aikido for most of us is uh someone grabbing you you grab my wrist i mm -hmm. do a technique and it either happens from gyaku hand me or i hand me most likely from i hand me because it's easier to do things like ikkyo for example so yeah it's uh, i've maintained that for a long time as well that aikido is <laughs> I also get looks because I also see Aikido as kind of a mixed martial art, which it is. It's got elements of quite a few things, particularly if you look back on Ueshiba's early Aikibudo days mm -hmm. and his Ueshiba Ha Aikibujutsu days, where um, there were elbows, there were punches, there were all sorts of things going in. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was all obviously pre war Aikido, Aikido as it was now called, but it wasn't back then. And um, a, a lot of what he taught was much more rugged, much more basic, and yeah, would fall firmly into that pancreation style attitude where it was uh, the the striking was when if if you ever read any of the early commentary from any of those early door students, a lot of them did. A lot of his students didn't need to be trained to punch because they came from other striking arts or jujitsu arts. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you look at some of the old footage of what Ueshiba used to do, uh, a lot of people think it, it was pretty brutal when you compare it to what you see now on the internet sure. for Aikido. It's it's a completely different ball game. And, you know, if, if I'm honest, I kind of prefer it, the kind of older style of it, because I think it's more pure, mm -hmm. raw in its form, and it's more of a concept than uh, a collective uh, rendition of what people believe Aikido should be. Sure. I don't think O-sensei himself knew back then where he was going with this, and you see elements of Daito Ryu in there, you see elements of striking arts, jiu-jitsu, uh, all of that is still in there, and it's still pretty raw, but he's trying to do something with it. You so, know what? Go ahead. So I was just going to say, so I think as well, he would have had the same attitude as that while we're putting strikes in, I'm controlling them through direct hand-to-hand -hand manipulation. And that requires we make body contact. And by making that body contact, I will use whatever means are necessary to engage with and neutralize my opponent. And that's what it came down to. And you cannot neutralize anyone without grappling. 
because they're not neutralised until they're down and, and under control or they're completely immobilised or laid out. And all yep. of none of that kind of really, you, you know, the more modern take on Aikido there, if we take out those strikes, the only way you can immobilise them, if you can't lay them out and you can't incapacitate them by damage alone, the only way you can take them out is through grappling forms. That's it. That's the only way that Aikido, modern Aikido, for the most part, can be seen as being effective if it's a grappling arm. Absolutely. You know, one thing I was I was contemplating this last week was, you know, because I've heard the same thing that you were just saying, that the, the people that came, the martial artists that came to Morahai were uh, mostly advanced martial artists or, or martial artists, trained athletes of some variety or other, whether they are soldiers. Yeah, or soldiers. They had some kind of sumo, they had judo, karate. Now, what I've never heard was like roughly, did he get more? I think he got a lot of judo practitioners. But I don't know mm -hmm. by what percentage, like how many roughly karate people yeah. compared to judo. But judo is also a grappling art as well. Completely, yeah. We yeah. also know that Kano did send students to Ueshiba. That yes. Kano himself went and looked at what Ueshiba was doing and mm -hmm. declared it as a solid Budo art. And we definitely did send students there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you may find there was, and that may be to fill in the blanks and what he perceived was perhaps missing from judo, which was an interesting thing when you think about it. Why Kano Sensei would send um, students to Ueshiba to it was obviously to learn something. Absolutely, so there was, yeah. and that allowed. This is going to sound terrible. I think that allowed judo to remain pure in its sport form, mm -hmm. but to also fill the blanks. So what were these blanks that were being filled? Exactly, and that's that's uh, you know that that blank thing comes into play. And I and I wanted to touch too on your the breakdown of. If you get a striker, you kind of have two choices. You either have to prevail over them by by being a better striker than they are, which that always has been a danger to me. Of you don't try to play the specialist game. You try to you you have to do something that they are not ready for. And and one of the things about grappling, and this kind of comes back to the ancient argument over are do strikers prevail over grapplers? Is striking, I shouldn't say the athletes themselves, but is striking superior to grappling or is grappling superior to striking? And I think you hit on it there is that by grappling, you can, uh, you have a better chance of, of taking the, the, the strikers tools away from them by tying them up and make them have, have difficulty with striking, um, take a kicker off their balance. They, they have a hard time landing with power. Um, you close in and wrap up a, a puncher, um, now they have a hard time doing using their tools. And that's, that is kind of the beauty of grappling. Um, and I think that that's the advantage that I, that Aikido at least had. I mean, it, obviously mm -hmm. both agree that, that much of contemporary Aikido has been kind of watered down to the point where it's arguably uh, ineffective uh, because of just how it's been trained. But, but to look at, like you said, the older Aikido and it's more pure form I, th I think is a very high level, highly skilled and highly proficient, pro uh, proficient level of grappling with light mm -hmm. contact. Um, and I think most arts go through this. I've seen judo go through this. If you look at a young practitioner, they're young, they're powerful, they're fast, they're athletic. Um, they use a lot more strength than they need to. They use a lot more collision than they need to. Um, they don't mind overpowering somebody with pure athleticism or physicality, but you take that practitioner, if they keep going after, you know, in their twenties, when they're young and vigorous and, and, you know, full of juice, 
and they get older and they realize they they want to pursue efficiency. They want to do their art with the minimal amount of effort. They don't want to use athleticism because they get older. They're not as athletic anymore. They're not as fast or explosive or, or powerful. And now they use cunning. And, and I think the best example of this is seeing uh, watching like Olympic judo versus watching Kyuza Mifune do judo. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's almost a different art. Yeah, yeah. Because it's he is on a sublime level of skill. And, and I think that's mm-hmm. probably where Moro Hayashiba was. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was grappling, but he was so far ahead of his opponents that it seemed like he was just not even there. But the concepts mm-hmm. he was using were all grappling concepts. You were controlling somebody's body. He just had such yeah. skill that he was doing it without really t- having to use a hard touch or using a lot of strength or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah. how I think. Absolutely. There's, uh, I, I completely agree. There's two concepts that I spend years and years and years trying to get into my students. And the first one is don't control your partner, control yourself. Mm-hmm. You control yourself, you control your partner. And the second one is economy of motion. Whether that's that you continue to practice and you practice big, then you bring it in tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter as you go, or you make your movements more efficient where a lot of the stuff you did when you were younger, you know, where we all like to do big, massive movements and then hurl each other across the mat, you suddenly realise, hey, wait a minute, I can still put them over there with one-tenth of the output on my part. Uh, You start to realise all that, and you only do that Again, getting back to that grappling concept, you only do that when you stop and look at what exhausts you as an individual when you try to control someone Mm -hmm. and uh, how that affects your body as you get older. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I found that, uh, interestingly enough, I've done Gleamer matches where I've, I've thrown someone with a toe from the ground while they thought they had won. Because mm-hmm. as they step back, I just managed to get a hand under their foot and li- literally my index finger hooked underneath their big toe and lifted it as they stepped back. And it was just enough to get them off balance to the point where when I pushed, they fell over and I was able to get up and I, I won nice. <laughs> because of a toe. Mm-hmm. Right Now, if I were younger, I would have probably thought, if I were younger and able to get off the ground easier... <laughs> My hips didn't give me so much trouble. Rather than just pushing my hand up and hoping the toe would catch, I would probably have tried to grab the foot, hold on to it, and what would have done was just pulled them back on top of me and would have gassed twice as quickly. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. And it's it's those kind of silly things where you think, yeah, there's something in economy of motion and there's something in controlling your natural impulse to get out there and just engage, you know, at 500% of your effort. You can do it in a better way. And I think that's one of the things that Aikido can teach us. But in order to do that, you need to have an uke or a partner who's not just going to run around you, jump in five circles and throw themselves away from you when you wiggle a finger. You need an uke who will work with you. And you that's why I prefer to use the term partnership, because you're both testing each other all the way through the techniques. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Aikido, I don't like to look at it when it works. I like to encourage my students to get it wrong. And now where do you go from here? And what you find is you have two independent bodies in very close contact, one in a compromised position, usually the person trying to do the throw in the first place. 
how the hell do you get out of that? Because you've now compromised yourself by not controlling yourself and you now find yourself into the first thing that most people will do if the person trying to throw them is compromised is they will reach out and grab them. Mm -hmm. Because it's the easiest way to immobilize someone is to literally pin them down and shut down their their hands, shut down the legs. And we all know this from school days. Someone comes up behind you, they never just grab you from behind, they grab you from behind and then place their weight into you. Right, and the mon- the monkey brain kicks in because then you can't lift your legs, your body's overbalanced, your arms are pinned, and you're in a, a, a full blown grapple situation at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's one of the most compromised positions that you can be in because your weight's off balance. You've got their dead weight moving into your thighs. You can't kick. You can't move. You can't move your arms. Where do you go from there? And uh, that's some things that, for me personally, I see missing in modern Aikido. It's all about mid-range strikes that are ineffective met by mid-ranged interceptions that are less than effective that somehow produce this wonderful magical flowing art Mm -hmm. not technique this sorry let me rephrase that not art it brings this wonderful magical flowing agreement Mm -hmm. that i'm going to move you here and you're going to jump for me over there then I'm going to swap with you. And I've said this often before, as long as people are willing to do that and accept that's what they're doing, what you're doing is ballet with a throw. That's fine. If you're happy with that, do that. But please do not put that out there as a martial art because it's not. Mm-hmm. It is an art. It has no martial concept. It's not a martial art. Uh, I'm sure the god Mars would disagree with Everything to do with that being is how the word that's where the word martial theoretically comes from, the god of war. <laughs> right. So it's um so it's a kind of um getting that concept across can be very difficult. And whenever I go now, whenever I do an Aikido course, I always throw in a little bit of glima as well. Because mm-hmm. as I say, it's a great leveler. It's an absolute great leveler. Everyone a lot of martial artists walk about and they think they are uh, the proverbial part of the dog, which I'll not mention just now, but I'd, I'd, it's a very Scottish phrase. Uh, and the best, it's, it's well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you offline. I, I don't <laughs> want to be saying anything <laughs> too bad on on the show. But um, the a lot of people walk about as martial arts and think they can handle themselves. And then I like to throw in a little bit of gleamer. And I usually put a black belt with a white belt. And what I usually find is the white belt having less training than the black belt defaults to natural ability. The black belt tries to enforce their superiority on the white belt and the white belt in a wrestling format kicks the crap out. (laughs) Because the black belt's trying to be all this, "Mm, I'm all zen with it, look at me, I'm so in one with myself, I'm so wonderful. And then all you see is this charging mass of across the mat, <laughs> come down, and it, you know, head goes down, legs go up, and it's it's usually quite humorous. Yeah. Uh, you know, we forget that in doing a martial art, we still have to be able to stand our ground. We still have to be able to work. Ironically, if if the higher grades would just engage with that contested concept mm-hmm. and turn, they've got perfect kokyoho there. Mm-hmm. But they don't. As soon as the arms go for them, they start to panic because it's not a mid-range ineffective attack and it's not a mid-range ineffective grab and it's not a telegraphed movement either. It's just a body charging at them. You know, sure. and 
nine times out of ten, if they just move to the side and stick their foot out, the white belt's going to stumble over them. You know, if they just get their their my eye done, right, it comes out, and that's where I go with it. After that, I show them, look, you've got all these skills, but you're not using them. Mm-hmm. You think you're using them in an agreed situation, but as soon as we put the slightest bit of pressure on it, it crumbles. And I don't do that to make people feel bad. I do that to ask them to consider why you're doing it. If you're happy with that, then be happy. But if you think the way you're training is going to save you if something kicks off and you are forced to use these skills, then be happy with what you've done. But open this new door and look at how can you bring this to bear over here? So you've got two sets of skills to call upon. You know, don't be afraid to look through the open door. It's there. You can do it. Yeah. And, you know, something I found very valuable learned years ago was this was a great demonstration by by a friend of mine, fellow instructor. And he said and he just he would he'd come running forward with his arms flailing. He said, if your martial art can't deal with that, it's really not a martial art. And I would say the same thing of somebody walks up to you, gets within, you know, bad breath range and grabs you and tackles you. If you can't deal with that, you've got two, just a giant hole in, in your art. Mm. It may, it may yeah. be great at doing other things, but you know it. those are the two most common in watching all kinds of videos and watching how real fights go. Those are the, probably the two most common attacks. Mm-hmm. They're not smart attacks. They're not disciplined, but damn, they're effective. And they happen, mm-hmm. people get pissed off. Those are the two that happen the most. And- <laughs> Have you seen the old uh, I Can News video, Rendezvous with Adventure? Yes. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you remember the part in that where Tohei engages with the big American? Yep, I do. And that becomes a, that almost becomes a wrestling match. Yeah. And Tohei did. ends up with his, his hakama all ripped and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's that that's the thing that comes to mind as soon as I in, anyone says to me that Aikido is ineffective. Well, it's it's not because that was an untrained man who was, let's face it, probably about 50 pounds heavier than Tohi. Mm-hmm. And Tohi does go to town on him a little, but he does get him under control and he does put him down. Yeah. But he doesn't do it through conventional Aikido. Right. He does and it by using Aikido principles. Tohi had a grappling background uh, when mm-hmm. he it, yeah. his previous athletic experience. So he kind of mm-hmm. tapped into that. Now there's some things I've heard about that sequence or that event. And that was that, that Morahai told him, don't hurt this guy. Yeah. Now, that said, would we see any any wrist locks or Nikos or or you know what have you within there? Or I think the thing that would really more than likely would have hurt him is something like a shomanate or a head throw that would have slammed him hard. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, which, as we both know, is a great technique against somebody who's bigger than you, especially taller. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But still, you know, he wanted. It was pretty clear to me anyway that that Tohei wanted to keep it fairly sporting. But you could tell it was pretty spirited. You get a big guy who wants oh, yeah. wants to take you down. That is a consider- serious consideration. You can't mm-hmm. you can't toy with that, even if you've mm-hmm. got good footwork and good movement and and good mm-hmm. body discipline. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, but it won't look clean and, and like a like a demonstration. Um, no, it doesn't. And if if you you were to take that situation and transplant it now mm-hmm. onto what we see as mainstream. Aikido that gets a lot of the 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 footage, 
Mm-hmm. It would be a very different ending yeah, <laughs> because yeah. most of the Aikido practitioners would not have the skill, capability, and self-control to control that situation without hurting that gentleman the way Tohei did. Right. Well, and you know, I never this never occurred to me until our, just just this moment when you talked about this, because I remember the demonstration that that Morhai was invited to give by the emperor, and he he originally wanted to decline with the saying of why well, I, if it was a demonstration, I'd have to, I'd have to show you something that's false. It would only be a demonstration. If I really showed you Aikido, I would hurt or potentially kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he tried to have the graceful exit to the challenge, but the emperor insisted, even though the emperor wasn't there, it was for his representative. Morhai went ahead with the demonstration and and then the attacker that that came out, he wound up breaking this attacker's arm. So mm-hmm. I wonder if if this if that film that Rendezvous with Adventure was subsequent to that, the last thing Morhai wanted to have was on film this guy getting his arm busted. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that may be why he said, "Don't hurt him." You know, if mm-hmm. he did say that. Now I didn't hear it. You know, obviously within the martial world, there's all kinds of rumors. You're never sure exactly what's true or what isn't, but. It, it's plausible to me that he would say, you know, for the image of this art, don't hurt this guy. Um, mm-hmm. But we can see what what happened. And yeah, the guy was a, a kind of a big galoot, but he was he was persistent. And, mm-hmm. you know, he he was Tohei. It's not like he Tohei just kind of flipped him around with, with a little bit of hand movement. He had to work for it. Oh, yeah, he worked for it. He definitely worked for it. And it <laughs> yeah. was scrappy and it was ugly and mm-hmm. it was fabulous. Yeah. yeah <laughs> because yeah. it was so scrappy and ugly. And it, it's it's a moment in those old footages when you, you see O Sensei doing all his stuff and then that happens and you're like, ooh, ooh, that actually felt kind of real. Everything else didn't feel that real, mm-hmm. but this kind of felt real. This kind of felt as though you, you know that could be how we could utilize this. And that's something that stuck with me for a long time sure. uh, and made me think about it is um that it's Aikido is a very functional, very useful martial art, mm-hmm. but it's it's more as I said earlier about how you control yourself to control your partner, and whether mm-hmm. that's using extension, you know, the unbendable arm stuff, which sounds really airy fairy, but anyone who knows what I'm talking about knows what I'm talking about. It's just using proper biomechanical manipulation to prevent yourself from being weakened mm-hmm. while maximizing on your power output. You know, sure. that's the way I use all this unbendable arm and heavy body type thing that you hear about. And um, it's, it's about making sure that, I mean, I'm I'm not light, but if someone tries to lift me, I don't want to be jumping into my toes to take six stone, eight stone off my body weight. I want mm-hmm. to drop it and make sure if they have to move me, they have to move all <clears throat> 14 <clears throat> stone. Um, <laughs> look, let's call it. Uh, no, I'm 17 stone. I don't look it, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm a bit I'm like a hairy square. Sometimes I'm a bit as wide as I am tall. Sure. And uh, getting me lifted, I've got a really low center of gravity as well. So I use that when I'm wrestling, when I'm grappling, when I'm doing Aiki, and I use that to my advantage all the Absolutely. time. You know, well, I, so I think all Aikido Aikidoka realize that gravity is a, probably our greatest ally. Like we, mm-hmm. we want to use it both for our protection, like you, you were just describing, as well as for manipulating another opponent. We want to have them be fighting gravity, not using it like we want to use it. And and I, mm-hmm. that's where I think most grappling and wrestling uh, arts 
have that integrated with them. They want to use gravity in their favor. Make sure that they have the weight advantage on their side. Um, Mm -hmm. And one thing that comes to mind as I was thinking about this, uh, when I heard uh, Alessandro give his uh, kind of the, the parallel definition of a temi many years ago, because I was always taught when I when I was, came up that a temi was a, a strike meant to take balance or to take posture. Um, and that's how we always used it. And that's how I've heard every Aikido practitioner use the term a temi. And he he described that that there's an alternative definition, which is a temi is the striking body, meaning mm-hmm. that any part of your body can be used to strike to take posture. And yeah. I thought, okay, well, that, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's very Japanese to have multiple definitions for one word, right? Um but as I thought of the ramifications of that, I started realizing that if you look at things like catch wrestling, even old school dirty boxing, where you're using body bumps to start knocking somebody and to take their posture, that that's exactly mm-hmm. that definition of a temi. Mm-hmm. And it, it took me looking at grappling in a whole new light, especially as I started learning, and I was getting taught how to do it, that things like body bumps, head nudges, um, using your shoulder to move and shift a head or shift a shoulder or shift weight onto a leg, all of that stuff falls within that that's definition of a temi is using your body to strike and take posture, which yeah. upsets, as we know, that's Aikido. If there was one prime principle, it's take the other person's posture. Mm-hmm. And so They're- you're just using everything that grappling has used for thousands of years to do exactly that. Yeah, yeah. And, and my old club, there was a couple of techniques that, uh, we used to do it was the 80s and the 90s but they were acceptable uh, one of them is to do shihonage and mm-hmm. as you get through to shihonage where you have your hand up and their arm locked is you make a seesaw motion with your left leg on the ground and swing your right leg back and you take out their legs mm. as you're doing it now kids don't try this at home you, you only need to take one leg mm-hmm. if they're on your right side and you take their right leg and you seesaw that as you're going, you then start a kind of body of motion so that your natural body weight swings from being, you keep in front, you swing your leg, you swing it back, and it's almost like a cross between Shionagi and Uchimata. I was going to say, it has that Uchimata flavor with that oh, leg what? swing. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, make sure there's plenty of toilet rolls around for your rookie. <laughs> um, so they can clean up afterwards because it's it's a hell of a throw. Yeah, that wouldn't but, be a ride I'd like to take because the end would be no, pretty, no. Pretty trust bad. me, it's not fun. It's not fun, <laughs> you know. And it's it's like when you do the half shionage, so the arms really twisted and they're mm-hmm. down at that level. You do it from there as well. And I've had that done to me a couple of times. So quite literally, you're uchimating them through the shoulder joint sure. based on the pressure through shionage, mm-hmm. and it's it's oh, it's hell on earth. Sure. But then you get up and you've you're still alive and it's okay. And uh, you never want to go through it again until the next time. But, um, <laughs> but that's, those are examples of a Temi as well. And for example, when you're doing Ikkyo and you get them down into Ikkyo, everyone, you, I see this everywhere. Everyone pushes with the shoulders left and right, zig and zag left and right. That's not how we do it. We treat the arm as a spear and you move your hip in and you dislodge their hip with your hip. Hmm. To knock them to the side, so you, you actually use your right hip as a body check okay. into the soft part of the ribs. Mm. So it compresses the rib on the left hand yeah. side if their left arm's extended. So you're compressing the rib, you're winding them, and you're taking them down. That's how I was taught to do ikkyo. Mm-hmm. 
from an early age. Well, from from an early Aikido age, uh, anyway. But um, these are all atemis. Mm-hmm. So the the, the, the the atemi can be part of the movement, just as you said, just yeah. exactly like that. It mm-hmm. does not have to be, this is an atemi, it's a punch to distract them. Right. Uh, I guess that's one thing that frustrates me is when, when I see atemis as just being, I throw a fist up to somebody's mouth yeah. and that's really all an atemi or or to the body somewhere. And mm-hmm. uh, because it, what I found with, with opening these body atemis up uh, they're firstly, they're more powerful and they do a much better job of taking the posture without doing things like uh, harming, potentially harming your fist because you have a fist going to where the you know skull is armored. Yeah, yeah. The, the oh, bone yeah, will, yeah. will hurt. And, mm-hmm. you know, in modern day, if I hit you in the mouth, your tooth might actually tear my skin. I don't know what you've got diseases going on in your mouth. I don't want to be getting any of that business, but I throw mm-hmm. a shoulder into your, into your ribs with the lung right behind it. I can get you to not only take your posture, but I can get you to get mm-hmm. short of breath because I can drive all the air out of at least one lung for a moment. Mm-hmm. That's a huge effect. Uh, yeah. and, and I can also, usually because of my height, but even people that are not very tall can do this. I get to lift somebody up off of their feet by doing doing it correctly, which I oh, really yeah. like. Yeah. You get somebody up in the air and the next thing they're going to do is they're coming down. And there's, coming uh, down. again, as my ally... <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. James James Brown was right. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's one of the things I teach, and uh, I teach karate as well. A lot of people don't really know that, but uh, one of the things I always teach is that there's no such thing as a faint. Mm-hmm. If you have to, fa- I don't mean faint. I mean a faint. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're going to do a faint, it's only about twenty percent less effort than actually putting the strike in. Right. So do the strike. And if they don't move out the way, great. You hit them. If they move out the way, it's a faint. Mm-hmm. So it's you get the same effect, but sure. it means something. And for me, attemis are the same. When mm-hmm. when we do a temi in class, for example, we're trained to not with a fist, but just with the flat of the hand, make contact, even if it's just on the side, and and heavy, not slapping or hurting, but just kind of heavy contact, get used to actually making that thump happen. And this, I'm going to pull this back to Kuma again in a second, just to tie in this same concept. Mm-hmm. Because that heaviness can then become a movement, and that heaviness is that contact we use in Aikido. Aikido fails when we break contact with our partners. Mm-hmm. When we move away, they get their balance back, they're upright, they're ready to go again. Yeah, you got to start when over. We, they get, it's, a, it's a restart. Control, alt, delete. We're back to square one. Only now, in a real situation, they're a bit pissed off that we're back to square one. Mm-hmm. When you enter and you strike or you connect and you stay in contact and you transfer your weight through them and continue to do so, that's where your atemi comes in as well. Because I see a lot of people doing these little ugh, flicky atemis. Oh, that's to distract you. Mm-hmm. Was it <laughs> so so fast and so flicky? I didn't even see it. You barely saw it. The camera barely saw it. You know, it was that stupid. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if that had actually connected and I flinched, getting that flinch reaction is worth way more yep. than five hundred. You know, and that's one flicky thing. Things. I'm glad you brought up faints because, um, in my experience with faints, they firstly it's it's like a distraction. You have to sell it. You have to like a magician that wants you to look at this hand because the magic's going on in the other hand, he has to really draw you into looking at that. And if you're either 
burning the hand that he wants to use to do the trick and you're not falling for the distraction, then your distraction doesn't work. Uh, and faints are the same way. And one of two things will happen. Either you get somebody that is either drunk and they don't notice anything. And by the way, any magician will tell you they don't like performing for drunk people. Yes, they yes. do not follow misdirection. They, they, you can't mm. paint their eyes. You can't draw their eyes very easily because they're just, you know, <laughs> they're, they're in the, the the drunk zone, right? Um, and then you have to, you can't oversell it. If you have somebody with a yeah. somewhat experienced eye and you oversell it, he knows it's a fake. He knows what's what's going to be real or not. And that I think holds right to what you said of if you're going to a faint should be a real strike because you have to sell it to somebody who's experienced. And if they're so oblivious, they don't notice you better land it with what it needs to land with to finish it mm -hmm. you know, that, that you can do. And I wanted to add mm -hmm. a third one in there. And this actually reminded me of old school boxing back to the days of uh, Dempsey and even farther back to Marciano. Oh, look, look. Oh, oh you mean proper. proper yeah. And because this crosses over into what we're talking about yeah. with the body attempt mm -hmm. is that, and they would say of, of Marciano, like he hits like a freight train, but he misses a lot. Like he's poor discipline. Well, what had actually mm -hmm. happened was he would swing. And if he went past, he would actually continue the strike with a forearm, which is which became illegal after he was doing it because he was hitting people in the back of the neck yeah. and knocking them out. Um, but if they flinch and follow, you keep following them and you're going to hit them and you're going mm -hmm. to take their posture. And even in boxing, you take somebody's posture and you're raining down on them, you're going to win. Like they yes. have to get their posture back if they're going to continue striking at you. So the two universal principles you talked about are not just wrestling principles. They are mm -hmm. stay engaged, keep posture. If once you take posture, keep it, don't back off and restart. Those mm -hmm. are striking principles as well. Absolutely. Once, yep. once you take that posture, you have the advantage, you exploit the advantage, whether you're doing it to submission or control either way, mm -hmm. but that's how you, how you prevail. Mm -hmm. And you've just hit on a really important point and something that makes, this is what makes Aikido effective, provided people train in it. And what I see a lot of, they don't. And it is an opponent can go faster forward than you can backwards. Anyone who's ever done any striking art, any wrestling art, when your opponent's coming at you, you either have to drop and hit them and stop their advance, or you have to try and get them past you or get on top of them and get them down. Or, Deflect, deflect, defend, and get under their guard. You can't afford to start backpedaling, mm -hmm. particularly if you're in a restricted ring or a, or a, no, a proper circle or a square or whatever you're in. Sure. Whether you're doing karate, whether you're doing boxing, you've only got limited space before you run out of space. Mm -hmm. And if you're on the ropes or in a corner, you're in trouble. You sure. know, corner's not so bad, but if you're on the ropes, you're on the ropes. That's where the freaks come from. You're in some deep, deep doo-doo at that point mm -hmm. because there's no limit to where these punches can come in. Now, in Aikido, we do something that is incredibly different from every other martial art out there, and it's Irimi Tenkan. Mm -hmm. We should never be going backwards when we can turn. Right. And it's one of the things that I hammer home, hammer home, hammer home all the time. When we're doing partner work and even when we're doing pressure test work, anyone who starts moving backwards, they're basically beat. You can see it straight away because they've only got limited space to maneuver in. Mm -hmm. Irime Tenkan or just basic Tenkan means that you're constantly moving circularly sideways as opposed to 
trying to do linear back and forward. And I found when I incorporated that Irmi Tenkan movement into my wrestling, suddenly everything became Kaiten Nagi. Hmm. Okay. Everything felt like everything felt like Kaiten Nagi. They come at you, they try and grab your leg, you turn, you drop your weight on it, their head's down there, you turn, Kaiten Nagi, you're facing the same way, bit of a pressure onto their back, grab their head, take them down. Everything becomes Kaiten Nagi. Irimi Tenkan style movements. So it's, or for anyone who's not understand the Japanese, just turn and throw. And that brings us right back onto what we were saying earlier about the white belt chasing the black belt. All he had to do was Irimi Tenkan or just turn. <laughs> just right. turn. And he could have just grabbed a hold of him and threw him past him. But mm -hmm. they don't. They panic and they try to, they try to regain composure by finding that safe space. Because they don't, a lot of Aikidoka nowadays, they're not used to working in that close zone. It all starts out at distance. And it doesn't even start in striking distance. I even see it with Bokken now. We always start with Bokken crossed at the tip to achieve a proper striking distance. Hmm. And nothing makes you move like someone coming at your head with a stick. It really makes you move. I'm not saying we're trying to hurt each other. It's mm -hmm. just a very good incentive. Mm -hmm. it's a very very good incentive actually I highly recommend it So it's but when you start 8 feet apart even for beginners I just get them to do it slow just move really slow but get used to the threat understand the threat is there because then when it comes to your hand techniques you're no longer afraid of that closeness because you've had that closeness with a weapon now you can get closer again still with the hands mm -hmm. and then everything happens within grabbing range and yeah, it is one of those things that I try and instill in everyone. Aikido is a grappling martial art. Don't pretend it's not. Don't think out in the street, someone's going to come at you, you're going to grab their collar and throw them. They might fall over because they're blind drunk, but you've had to grapple them to do it. You know, well, I was going to say nobody falls over on their own, but they might. Someone swings a punch at you, you drop and you get under their garb, you elbow them in the ribs and then you come up to the face and you basically perform Sokumeni Riminagi. Mm-hmm. You're still grappling them to do that. You're within grappling range. You might find you've grabbed their belt to get a bit of a boost in and take them down, but you've still grappled. Anything where you have to take hold of someone, that's what you're doing. Well, and, and looking at a lot of, of how argumentative confrontations work, people get, get close to each other. Maybe there's a shove, maybe there's a clinch, you know, you get into a grapple, which I think is that's judo's got that locked down all day. They do so much with the grip work. Yeah. But the, the great part about the grapple is you if you come and you shove in on me and I do an arm drag and I get around behind your shoulder, now I'm not getting hit. I've now taken, <laughs> if this escalates from shoves or, or some hand contact into strikes, I've now gotten onto your flank. You're going to have a hell of a time trying to hit me from there. Uh, mm. And I've got attached to your on one arm. So if you try to go for a knife or, some, or a weapon that's in your belt... I've got a hold of your arm and I can feel it and it's, I'm going to get in the way of you doing a weapon draw. Um, mm. So to me, those are all testaments again to the grappling side of, of me as, as the good guy, if you would, mm. grabbing hold and connecting to, to the assailant in a way that helps protect me a from the immediate strikes, but also what we always have to be worried about is a weapon coming out. Um, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and those are those are all layer stuff. Yet again, that that a sport fighter never has to deal with is that weapon coming out because you know, I don't yeah. have. Them. Um, but you know, nowadays it seems like weapons are getting very prevalent, 
um, and not just pocket knives and stuff either. But um, all of those things, I think that, that that's a greater, even greater testament to the the utility of grappling, because you can get in close enough, you know, and and you get to that flank. I can even run a hand on your belt and feel if you've got a weapon in there. You know, mm -hmm. we're grappling around because I'm temporarily safe. You know, once I get there for a, maybe a second until you start to turn. But if I drop weight on you and I make your feet heavy, it's going to be harder for you. That's to it. Like all of that stuff is a great advantage. And and that's something that's hard to take away from a striker. You know, if you're at mm -hmm. range and they're quick on their feet and you're trying to slow them down just by trying to strike them, that can take a while. I mean, unless you're really talented, yeah. you strike them and, and out. Or lucky. Yeah, or lucky. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, or lucky. And I think that that the other great thing that that uh, grappling offers is the ability to how would be a good way to turn this uh, to influence time. You buy yourself time by slowing mm -hmm. that person down by by mm -hmm. tangling up with them, and if they're not used to it, they will they'll get very confused and they won't know what to do. And I I think and I, at, at the risk of pissing off a lot of the 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 Gracie jujitsu fans, the Gracie jiu-jitsu hit because at that time when they did the, the first UFCs, martial arts were so heavily compartmentalized and, the, and most of them did not have any grappling background. They had no idea what to do when somebody came in as a grappler. And I yeah. think you could have put, instead of Hoist Gracie or any of the Gracie family, if you would have put a, a top wrestler in there, he probably would have done the same thing to all of those fighters that, that, that Hoist Gracie did. Because mm -hmm. a grappler against a, a striker that does not grapple, you know, is there, there's a, a miss there. And really that, that grappler, all he's got to do is get past one of those strikes and get in and close. And he's got, he's in his world now, not in the oh, strike. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, now I mean, the to be fair, people will probably say, well, yeah, but what about Ken Shamrock? Because he was a grappler. And he was in the first UFC. But if you look into it, there was a lot of shadiness about how they changed things up on him at the last minute. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. There were rules because I think, I think, the... I think Shamrock had the best, by far the best shot at dealing with Hoist. But they said, well, you can wear your shoes up until about five minutes before the bout. And then they said, no, you can't wear your grappling shoes. So, which, you know, granted, I, I think Ken Shamrock, Ken Shamrock was probably the most well-rounded martial artist in that whole, in the whole mm -hmm. original UFC, like first couple of them. Um, mm -hmm. But, but, you know, that's yet another description for another time, but, um, but every, all those other competitors were primarily strikers or I think they had the sumo guy in the first one. Right. Um, I don't yeah. Really, I think so. I think so. But big dude, you know, um <laughs> big dude yeah, yeah. he was freaking huge he's like a plan he's, he's a big dude yeah. <laughs> yeah you know and to his credit i mean hoist gracie did do a great job of of handling his opponents like he was highly mm -hmm. skilled and and i would say that that gracie jiu-jitsu to their credit they were doing something in that time between you know the what was it the late 70s or 80s when they really said okay we want to turn this into a a street wise capable martial art that was something that other arts were not doing. And I think they should have. Mm -hmm. I think that they they did do a great job of saying, hey, hey, listen, let's not have all these holes, you know, and be studying a tiny little subsection of a, of the art that we want to do. We want to be be able to handle all of it. And that that yep. I mean, they should be applauded for for taking on that um, 
that mentality? I, I, I have never met a, a BJJ, a, a dedicated BJJ practitioner who's not a good scrapper, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Striking, maybe not so much, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but closing people down, getting in range, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, folding them up like a piece of origami. Yeah, first mm-hmm. class. And I've, I've learned a hell of a lot from guys who do BJJ. Absolutely. Not because it's 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 different from what I've done, because as I say, I, I kind of, my Aikido, Jiu-Jitsu, martial arts experience, I grew up through the ranks mm-hmm. in a mixed dojo. So we did a little bit of lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the Jiu-Jitsu aspect we did was more traditional. Mm-hmm. And what the Graces did is they took elements of judo, right? Mixed it yeah, up. Yeah, it was with a judo based, not a jujitsu based art. But yes, ultimately, what they ended up—and I don't mean any disrespect by saying this—was a more diverse but scrappy form of judo. Mm-hmm. That's extremely effective when you're at a position of disadvantage. Mm-hmm. That's its, that's for, for me. That's its one downside. It requires you to be the person at disadvantage for the most part. For the most part, it's great from the ground. I've trained with people. I've taken them to the ground. I've thought, "Got you now, you little git," and then they've wrapped me up like a Christmas present, and <laughs> <laughs> it's very humbling. You know, you're like, "Ha ha, I have you now." What? Whose arm's that? That can't be my arm. It doesn't go at that angle. Oh, it is my arm. Where's my leg? Um, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Fabulous ground fighters really are, and nobody can get away from them. And yeah, the 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 system that they've built up. A grappling art in itself it's taken a lot of the they kind of I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and it'll probably make me sound really stupid but they kind of did with grappling what sport grappling what bruce lee did with striking and everything when he formed jeet kune do they took mm-hmm. the best elements of lots of different things mm-hmm. and shoved it together into this thing my only complaint is why is it not the brazilian word for jiu-jitsu why is it because it's it's called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So why isn't it why isn't it the Brazilian word for Jiu Jitsu? Oh sure. <laughs> so oh, it's my only grief with it is that why don't they just call it the Brazilian word for Jiu Jitsu? But and of course, but that's marketing and labelling for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I would love to know what the Brazilian words for you know the gentle way were mm-hmm. or the gentle art. I would really love to know that to know what its actual Brazilian oh, Jiu name is. In yep. Portuguese, sorry, yes, Portuguese. Yeah. There you go, that shows my ignorance of languages. Sure, yeah, it'd be interesting to know what that is in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, uh, I'm Scottish, we can barely speak English. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in looking at BJJ and wrestling both, um, because I've integrated aspects of both into, into what I do, and I've worked with a wrestler more than I've worked with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but just breaking down the the pluses and minuses. And as you say, I think the the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Gracie Jiu Jitsu and I realize they're not they're not exactly the same but uh, mm. the thing that I like about them is when they get on the ground on their back they know it's not over oh yeah, yeah. Like, like a wrestler once you get on your back and you're pinned that's that's the end of it now mm-hmm. uh, but I've also realized that being on the ground on your back is a horrible place to be and you never want to be there if you can avoid it and you need to get the hell out of there as quickly as possible. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where I think the, the the wrestling approach where you want to be on top, that is an advantage position is more of a, of a that's why I prefer wrestling over Brazilian jiu-jitsu because I want to be in the habit of being on top. And wrestling does train to get out from underneath to, to switch positions to get, take the top position, but that's ultimately the top. Um, 
or that's the ultimate goal is to be on top, mm-hmm. top, especially weight on the lungs. That's another one of my favorites is yeah, yeah, hard for yeah. the other person to breathe. Right. Um, where I think wrestling, uh, it's rules tend to overlook it is they don't mind giving up their back. And that's where I think the rules of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with the choke is so important. I think wrestling could be, uh, even more potent if they integrated a choke position as being a, a winning position, mm-hmm. and, you know, but, and that's how I've had to adjust wrestling and the wrestling that I got of, you know, we, we want to make sure just like a BJJ person, make sure you never give anybody your back. Cause that's, it's good. You're about yeah. a second and a half from it being over if you ever do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're both bring a lot to the table they have, you know, a lot of great stuff to offer. Um, mm-hmm. I do. It does kind of warm my cockles a little bit when I hear how BJJ people tend to dislike wrestlers overall because they give them so much trouble. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah. kind of just a fact that way. But but I, I you know, I, I do like that that wrestling part. Um, yeah. It's but, actually you, you have something really interesting and really important is that a lot of BJJ guys will sacrifice the front to protect their back. Mm hmm. Right, you know, they'll they'll literally they will turtle and go on their back to mm-hmm. protect the back while you're right. trying to engage the front, and that's really important. Um, mm-hmm. because even even in uh, if, if I'll bring it back to Glima again for a second, which is my wrestling experience, uh, in Glima, it's the the engagement isn't over when you're on the ground. You're trying mm-hmm. to use your partner to get back on your feet. Mm. So your partner isn't trying to pin you like in other forms of wrestling. Your sure. partner's trying to get away from you so mm. his friend can stab you with a spear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or his friends can start piling in. Your defensive position, therefore, is to want to keep engaging from the ground. So you, your partner, the one on top in Glima is trying to disengage. The one on the bottom is trying to re-engage and stay engaged. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's an interesting position to be in because they're trying to get away from you. All of a sudden it changes. The person who gets thrown onto the ground, normally they would be wanting to break and get away. Mm-hmm. In Gleamy, you're not, because if by the time you turn to break away, the, the bout's over. Mm. Okay. You want to keep engaged. Mm-hmm. So I'm a ground fighter in Gleamer. I want to keep engaged, and I use my upper body strength and my natural <clears throat> 14 stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use my natural body weight to hang off people. Sure. So quite literally, the more they try and get away, I I'm kind of like uh, I'm kind I've got to going to disgrace myself here. I'm kind of like the blob, and there's Steve McQueen. I'm trying sure. to get my way up their leg and keep uh, moving. Y'all octopus on them. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, that's, that's a better word. Yeah, I'm a bit like an octopus. Uh, so it's yeah, just just trying to wrap them around with legs and arms and everything. So it's it's a totally different concept for that type of wrestling, and it's. I think it brings a lot back to Aikido as well mm-hmm. because it, it means that when we do that type of training, just because you throw someone doesn't mean they're down in the route. Exactly. We keep trying to you know, And one of the things I want to point out too, and this is one of my favorite, it became one of my favorite things a few years ago, and that is to make it, it's not just a, a physical atemi, it's a mental atemi. You want yeah, somebody yeah. off their game and scared. And I tell you, if you octopus somebody, and they want to get away and they can't get away and it just gets heavier and heavier. You talk about it demoralizes somebody very, very quickly, not mm-hmm. as quickly as pushing the air out of their lungs and not letting them breathe. That happens within seconds, but yeah. you know, when they want to get out and they pa- start panicking, like that's total mental. You've gotten that at Temi. That's the of you. the mind um, yeah. and grappling. You can do that with striking. I think 
only when your opponent realizes he's helpless to stop you from striking him. Only then does that that panic start to roll in of, oh my God, I'm completely in over my head. And that takes an extraordinarily level of skill to strike in such a way that even if somebody's defending and moving and trying to evade, that they can't stop you from striking them. Um, Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, I put that as advantage slightly towards grappling where it's real easy to, to take somebody and just make them freak out because you've gotten their arm, that arm turns into a body lock or into you capture a leg, you know, you start getting into a horse collar where they can't look up and they, you know, suddenly they feel all, it's, you know, locked are, up. I found, connected. yeah, absolutely, Tristan. Uh, I found there are, there are a few types of individuals in the martial arts world that, that can still maintain their grapple and striking, mm-hmm. uh, who usually work on more than one attack at a time. First one is boxers. Who, unless you, what I want people to remember is a strike is a movement towards a grapple. That's how we look at it in Gleamer. If you're mm-hmm. going to strike, it's a strike towards a grapple. So, mm-hmm. what's your intent after you strike? What are you going to do? Are you going to keep striking? Because that becomes difficult. Because sure. when you hit someone, they either stagger back or fall, or they start to move to avoid to get hit again. Mm-hmm. So, the strike should feed into something else. Immobilization for further strikes, excuse me, or immobilization to take them down. When you're dealing with someone like a boxer, you have multiple fast, heavy strikes. They don't have the grappling skill, but they can take the damage and they can keep coming. They're a, it's a bit like a tank. The yeah. other one that I've, other couple of guys have trained with who can they're sturdy. Also, really well. boxers are used to getting hit. They don't they don't freak out. That's when it exactly. They, they, get they don't freak into out when they're hit. Yep. The other ones I've found who combine a lot of this really well are Muay Thai fighters. Oh yeah. They are solid. I mean, that's and I'm, oh. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about Tongpo or that type of thing. I'm talking about like these are small guys, really fast. They know how to hit and grapple at the same time, and they're not afraid to grapple while striking and using right. different parts of their body. And it's really, really efficient for that. And mm-hmm. it's uh, for for me, that's the problem, guys. Uh, if, if I ever sure. had to get a, a set to with anyone, I wouldn't really want to do do it for too long against a Muay Thai fighter because they've got that capability to lock down your grapples mm-hmm. and keep striking, and they're very agile with it as well. Yeah, I'd say Muay Thai is probably the best modern example of a combination striking. Pancreation and, type thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Granted, very they much. don't get into groundwork and, and no, things like no. that, but, or heavy-duty throws, but they do some throws in the head plumb, you know, the the horse collar or the you know collar tie. Uh, mm-hmm. So they've got enough grab. By the way, old pugilism like 17th, 18th century had a lot of that it was almost a combination of wrestling with the dirty what we would call dirty boxing now yeah Um, there's a a fella i used to train in wing chun with mm -hmm. and he was developing his own investigations into old school pugilism because Mm -hmm. he found a lot of similarities between the postures and the movements in wing chun right and the grapples in wing chun that linked back to old school pugilism unfortunately i moved away because we used to have some really good conversations oh, and yeah. he was a really good chiropractor we only have two legs and two arms in the same body so fighting is going to be fighting you're going to see similarities exactly. all mm-hmm. over the place yeah yeah and that's that's one of the things he was doing because that's something he found as well was that 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 link between that ability to old school grapple and fight at the same time mm-hmm. and and that's things we all used to do in school yeah, you, you know you'd you know grab and hold and grab and hold and well you know I tried not to but um, sure. well you know one of the things, 
I've been working on lately, uh, integrating more, um, and I've included some of the stuff we're talking about on my online program, but working with uh, my wrestling friend and some of my senior students about getting into that uh, almost like a pummeling type situation where you're, you're, it's chaos. You know, it's basically a randori, like a wrestling randori where you're trying to get into it, that into those positions where you can turn it into a solid lock, into a throw, into some sort of control and using a temi and i was playing around with this just last week of rather than striking the head i just put my hand on somebody's face and turn their head away even turning their head much less you know taking it up like you would for a shomanate but just having a paw on somebody's head and turning their head is incredibly effective for a for getting around to their flank because if their head's <laughs> facing you and you step they will very easily take a little turn and you're still haven't turned the corner around them Yes, we come over and can turn their head. It's very easy to slide behind their shoulder, and they can't really resist it because the the neck is not strong enough to push against the arm. Mm -hmm. And it's a great control. It's something you can do at low intensity. You're not knocking any teeth out. You know, you're not hurting either your hand or or their face. Um, but it's a great manipulation. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and a uh, again, it's a. If I ever make it over, I'll come over and do a wee gleamer course for you because I think you'll love it. Oh, yeah, uh, great. great. You, slaps and strikes are allowed in gleamer. You're allowed to slap, mm -hmm. not like a total Shh, shut up right. kind of slap. You're allowed to slap and push. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting when you're wrestling that you, you can make physical contact with a push. Sure. You yeah. can put your elbow into the nerve clusters in the body. You can mm -hmm. get your elbow up and grind it into yeah. the body. You can manipulate the wrists a little and things like that so it's it, it, it's much more combat orientated but even so what you're saying there that slap when placed against the cheek turns the head when put against the side of the ear suddenly becomes a really effective atemi oh yeah particularly and, for the people that behind are, it. and i and i understand this you know that well i don't want to do striking because i don't want to hurt anybody well if you just push it's just a push mm -hmm. you know if you put some juice on it and impact it with you know with the bone turn it into mm -hmm. a bone strike it can be stunning it can be you can even knock somebody out but you can use the same movement practice the good body mechanics to deliver your body power to push the body and manipulate it but all you're doing is exactly what aikido does which is manipulate the structure of the body take the posture away start folding things and bending over and tipping and then let gravity do mm -hmm. the rest of the work you know absolutely see one of the most effective strikes that i've ever experienced and it was a couple of months back and I was reaching down in the house I was picking up a ball one of the dog's balls and the puppy ran towards me spun and she smacked me with her ass on the side of my head <laughs> and I prolaxed and I got up and I fell over again I was actually stunned mm. and it wasn't a heavy strike it had momentum and power behind it because she was just spinning yep. and it, penetration yeah definitely and it just, it was the right strike at the right moment with me at the right angle, mm -hmm. just that it rang my bell. Right. And it didn't take a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And that's where the martial training has to come in. Mm -hmm. Because it's... You should have you your dog teach some classes. We should do, yeah. <laughs> oh, trust me, she's nearly popped my kneecap out at a young oh, age wow. as well, because she just spins and hits the side of your leg. Okay. But it's just excitement. She's really happy. So I try to be really happy when I slap people now. It helps. <laughs> um, 
That's a lesson again, to write down can, right there. Be happy. Slap if, if I can bring it back to Gleema, we call Gleema the game of gladness, the game of joy. So you should always be happy when you're slapping people. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's where the technical aspect comes in. And something that's missing is we hear people talking, and I see a lot of people doing demonstrations, and I go to courses, and they're like, we're going to hit here, and then you're going to hit here, and you're going to do this. Yes, against a stationary target. Give them a moving target, and all of a sudden, that accuracy goes right out the window. Being right. able to place that technically correct strike at the correct point to maximize its effect is a skill we need to work on. Or mm-hmm. we do what, as you said, Marciano did, you learn to go past your strike and use something else. So right. if you miss with your palm, engage with your shoulder, you know, Mm-hmm. You have to learn to do that. And the only way you can do that is by practicing, by looking at where you err in what you do and having that contingency plan to do that. You know, and that, that, that that's something I think a lot of people, I, th- I think a lot of us as martial artists, we're afraid to look at our failure points mm-hmm. to any great extent. We do it in, look, when people learn kata and things like that, there's a difference between forgetting a kata and looking at a failure point. And this is, I'm going to bring this back to the BJJ guys and the wrestlers and the grapplers here. Grapplers don't. We want to know how they exploited our failure point Mm -hmm. so we can't fall into that trap again. In a lot of martial arts, we pretend those failure points aren't there. Mm -hmm. And you need to own up to that. You need to own that void in your skill set. And that's, I say this to every martial artist that I ever see, look at where you're going wrong. Look at what you fail at. And, and honestly, you know, open that door and have a good, long, hard look into the void. Right. Because what's looking back at you is what you really need to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, is it your pride? Is it arrogance? Is it hubris? Is it anything like that that's holding you back? Why don't you want to, you know, uh, I've gone to some places and I've had instructors, you you know, do we want to do a bit of training? Yeah, well, you know, know, I don't train anymore. You know, I've I've got an injury. Right, that's fine. But some of them just don't want to train because it's seen as though you're below them. Right. I don't train with white belts. I don't train with blue belts. You know, I only train with black belts. So what you mean is you only want to throw people that know how to be thrown. Sure. And, you know, I... I want to build on that that concept because, you know, the idea that, and I agree with you. I think there are a lot of martial artists out there who are content with their their knowledge base and they don't care if they have holes in it. And to me, it's you have to have an answer. You know, somebody wants to wants to hey, let's train together, let's let's play around a little. And he's a grappler, and you have no answer for grappling. What are you What are you going to do? Now you mm-hmm. have a hole. No, the only thing really to do is to say, well, I, I don't play around with with grapplers. I don't play with wrestlers. I don't play with Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys, or I don't do w- with Wing Chun, or I, you pick your art, whatever it is. It's like if I think a real martial artist would be able to say, yeah, let's let's play around. Let's do something. And to show that you mm-hmm. at least have an answer. You don't have to prevail over a specialist in their own art, but you have yeah. to at least look like you know what you're doing and to have yeah. at least something to to answer for that that yeah. they can walk away going okay you know yeah this guy's not a pushover this is this would be hard to yeah. you know it doesn't have to to win over them it just has to neutralize it correct 
So it's if if you're spanning in your training, for example, you're training a Muay Thai guy and he comes in with a head clinch, what the hell do you do? Yeah. Okay, the first couple of times you take some shots and then you think, okay, do that again, please. I want yep. to know what I can do within my art to yep. combat that movement. And 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 you I'm know? glad you brought that one up because there's another one that came to mind too. But for me, I, and I have a great deal of respect for Muay Thai fighters, but also for, for the audience, realize a couple of things that are illegal in Muay Thai competition. One is driving forward several steps when you've got the clinch. The second right. you've got double leg takedowns and body mm-hmm. locks are not legal. Well, once you remove those from the rule set, now that, that head plumb is a dominant position. But if you open mm-hmm. up to the stuff that grappling does, it's not a dominant position. It's not a great place to be. You don't want to hang out there. But if that that double collar tie comes in and you drop and you body lock them, their mm-hmm. knees are not going to be the weapon that they yes, were a moment ago. And you can dump them or mm-hmm. or pick them up and slam them down like with a body lock. Um, and, the, and what a lot of people forget sorry to interrupt your flow there no, no, go ahead. is that very often when you get locked in like that the safest place to be is as close to the incoming strike as possible absolutely because it, it, it lacks momentum and it lacks force at that point mm-hmm. the closer you get to the point of where that strike erupts from the less damage it can do to you as you get there yep. you know and, and that, fact, again I... that's where wrestling and those types of grappling arts come to the fore yeah absolutely and the one that came to mind, usually that comes to mind for me with this is how do you counter, you know, X? Um, and that, to me, the answer for the the Brazilian jiu-jitsu style of they lay on, lay on the ground and they want to wrap their legs around you is leg locks. And because they've admitted, mm-hmm. you know, wow, we, leg locks kind of take a lot of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu game away. And I think it was, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I may be mistaken this, but I thought it was John Danaher that said that as soon as you introduce leg locks, about 80% of Brazilian jiu-jitsu kind of goes out the window because you can't you can't lift your leg up and give it to somebody or they're gonna they're gonna lock it, twist it. They're gonna take it, yeah. They're gonna take it. And I like that. I like knowing that because leg locks are not that complicated to learn. You learn some mm-hmm. leg locks and now you can deal with a lot of the the BJJ game. And the other part is the wrestling part again. And I've I've played around with you know uh some MMA. BJJ guys, you know, up from their, with their specialty. And yeah, if I'm just kind of playing around, they're going to wrap me up like a, you know, like a Christmas present. But as soon as I started putting weight on the, the lungs and stuff like that, and it kind of got to a stalemate position, but mm-hmm. I wasn't just at completely at their whim of being folded up. Um, and so, you know, it, there are things, there are things that you can learn to counter their specialties if you just learn what they are and train them and practice them and 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 test them enough so that you get comfortable to know what not to walk into such as you know extending Mm -hmm. your arm straight against a a bjj on the ground like you're going to get arm barred (laughs) in new york second (laughs) yeah yeah but those are all to me fundamentals that a a martial artist would understand to know how not to fall into that trap Mm -hmm. um you know a you spot what you're dealing with the type of fighter or type of attacker you you facing and then know all right i'm not going to fall for his you know top five ten percent meat and potatoes stuff i need yeah, to yeah. respond to it yeah and this also brings us around almost full circle to where we were when we started the conversation as well because it's 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 understanding that it's it's not about looking for 
that supremacy in what you're doing, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it allows you to recognise those types of attacks before they commence. Yeah. Because invariably a lot of... I get, I get, I've had critics over the year, over the years, have said to me, you, you know, why are you teaching Aikido against roundhouse punch? Why are you teaching Aikido against baseball bats? Why are you teaching Aikido against knee strikes? We don't do that in Aikido. And what? So they can recognise it, right? Because you, you you can't defend against something you fail to recognise. You know, and, and when I hear that, I hear I don't want to fill that hole in my skills. That's exactly what it is. I don't want to, I don't want to, and to me that just, it's puzzling to me how anybody could, could even say that. I mean, I could see. I know, I know for for me as well. Yeah, Yeah, but you've not done Aikido until you've done it. What are the odds you're going to run into somebody who's a capoeirist, who's going to be flipping around like a monkey on the ground of, you know, kicking you and whatnot. So, okay, maybe you'd say, nope. well, I don't need to go find a capoeirist to train against what he can nope. do. But clearly you've never been drunk on a Saturday night in Glasgow. Well, clearly I have not. <laughs> it could very well be. I've seen someone fail at that, and I swear to God, it looked like capoeira, but it wasn't. It was just trying to stay upright. <laughs> <laughs> but to say, you know, a roundhouse punch or just a straight kick or, you know, fill it, or, or just a grappler, somebody that... You know, and it's probably, I would guess it's similar in a large part of the world, but I know here in the United States, we've got a lot of people in high school, they go out and they play maybe football for a year. So they learn how to run across the field and tackle somebody. Maybe it's mm-hmm. there's rugby, you know, it's, you, yeah. or, or just guys that grow up with brothers and they're just running around tackling each other. Like that's a real attack. And it, if you don't know how to deal with it, it'll lay you out. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's now, actually something you'll see a lot if you go looking online, you know, and then all these Aikido versus MMA things are all over the crap, and most of them are fake just to dismiss Aikido. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the the most attacks I've seen is someone in a hakama who I'm convinced has never worn one before uh, gets their leg lifted. Mm-hmm. They run at them, lift their leg, and that's it. Fights over, they basically put them down and go to town on them. Uh, and you're absolutely right. It's one of the first things that we ever learn as kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a brother or cousins or whatever, you know, you're standing, you're you're doing something, you're you're looking at an apple tree thinking, how can I climb up there and get that apple? Then you're hit from the side <laughs> yeah. and your cousin's on top of you slapping your face. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, these things happen. You've just got to learn to deal with them. But right. uh, these are fundamental skills that we all have, Absolutely. and we, we tend to forget. I think as we get older and as we get more settled into our martial art and we become comfortable, I love that word you used earlier, it's, it's about comfort. Mm-hmm. For me, the martial arts is supposed to be about stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And yeah, you might get angry, you might want to cry, you might feel sad that you know you don't have these skills. Well, mm-hmm. you know, grow up. You know, and I'm glad you brought up that that term comfort zone, because to me, it's when you step out of your comfort zone, really what you're doing is you're making your comfort zone bigger. It's bigger and bigger and and more and more things fit in there. So you're not out of your comfort zone by somebody who's like, I'm going to show you something you've never even seen before. Uh And that's to me, ultimately, what what I want for my martial art is to to not be the fish out of water, you know, Mm -hmm. or the guy drowning because I'm I'm you know, way underwater. I don't even know what's going on. And that's why I like cross training so much and and getting exposure to these different things and filling in all those holes that, you know, by priority, you do them by the 
the, the stuff that you're going to have the highest likelihood of running into, that's where you'd start. But just make sure it's you're not caught with the, oh, I'm not going to train against that or I don't want to deal with learning yeah. how to, how to that, do this other thing or, you know. What I've found invariably as well is that when I do that and I expose myself to other arts and how they do things, I then always bring it back to my Aikido practice. And then I realize that a lot of what we do in Aikido can cope with these types of events, but not if I don't know how to cope with it. And it requires right. an adjustment. It doesn't require me. Yes, there are some voids in Aikido. The most blatant one is groundwork. Right. But that's only because we don't do groundwork the way BJJ or Judo do groundwork or Jiu-Jitsu do groundwork. You can still apply Ikkyo from your back. Mm -hmm. You can still apply Kotegaish from your back. You can still do a reasonable atemi and uh, any sort of neck throw from your back. You can defend yourself down there. You can still utilize uh, Irimi Tenkan movement. You can use Taino Henka movement. Someone reaches for your shoulder. You can lock their shoulder and throw your weight round and circle yourself, and you end up pulling them over and off balance. You can use these skills, but not until you learn to apply them out with that upright 360-degree format. Mm -hmm. almost everything we do in Aikido is applicable but not if you don't apply it it needs itself to be applied it needs pressure applied to it to see how it functions and it's and not it's not obvious too by the way one of the things that I'll often do is when we start class I'll start with Hapa Wendo you know the eight direction exercise mm -hmm. and everybody gets and I was the same way uh you get used to turning to face a certain wall and you see the, the <laughs> so things in the corner and then yeah. you start them 90 degrees or you know you start them off in a different direction and they just get all disoriented because they're like i'm not used to i'm used to using all the things i see as as my index That's i right. think the same thing holds true when you go from being good at something vertically and then you turn it horizontal like you've lost a frame of reference and that's why mm -hmm. i don't think somebody needs to become like let's say they spent five to eight years becoming an expert in their their martial art you don't need to go do that to learn the fundamentals of the ground you could no you could do it in a short amount of time because you don't need to become you know a, a semi-pro grappler in order to have those fundamentals work for you um mm -hmm. at least that that's been my experience now you know the more you learn the better you more comfortable you are there and the less surprised you're going to be when somebody pulls something that you've never seen before that's thoroughly understandable, but those fundamentals, and I love that you used that word a moment ago, because really we're talking about the fundamentals of hoplology, the fund the universal mm -hmm. principles of hand-to-hand -hand combat, of human combative behavior, and they're not specific to, to an art. Um, and this is, I guess, kind of my gripe about arts in general is that the art, a martial art tends to exclude certain universal principles for the sake of its little subset of what it likes to do. And the arrogance that comes in and the hubris is when a, when a practitioner says, my art's got everything I need. I don't, I don't need anything that's outside of my, my little mm -hmm. my subset of martial arts. I don't, I don't need to do grappling because I'm so powerful that I, I would... You know, and, and strikers tend to be like this. And I, I'm not going to call out a particular art because it's so common amongst them and say, well, nobody will be able to tackle me because I can hit them in the head so hard that they'll be knocked out and they can't they can't take me down, which I think anybody could with a with a brain can say that's that claim is absurd. Like mm -hmm. you might you could knock somebody out 
But if you ever tried to to knock somebody out who is charging to try to tackle you, you and have them do it a hundred times and and see how many knockouts you get. I would be surprised if somebody got more than five. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll I'll be surprised it was that high. I mean, I'll be honest. I, you know, I wasn't it would be yeah, and much less against anybody who's a rugby player, a wrestler who can take a shot because you got to hit those mm-hmm. people hard before they you ring their chimes and mm-hmm. a brownout or a blackout. So if you're that arrogant to think, well, I can just strike or I can just fill in the blank and I don't need to worry about, you know, dealing with leg takedowns and and tackles and and the stuff that happens, much less, you know, uh, crazy flailing arm swings or overhand rights or the stuff that happens in, uh, you know, pubs and, and street mm-hmm. fights all the time. You know, to me, that's like, boy, you better have that hole filled. Every single one of those holes better have a lot of stuff in it because, you know, he might need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and invariably, you you just reminded me of something there as well. Is that often it's not even an effective punch that lays someone out. Mm-hmm. It can just be a wild swing, mm-hmm. you, you know. And it, I, I hate to say it, it might even be directed at you. It could be somebody swinging at someone beside you, no. <laughs> then misses and takes right. you out the game. Uh, I was I was also thinking even a good strike in the side of the face is enough to ring your bell and take down. <laughs> you just oh, got to yeah. look at those slap fights that you see. You know, it's funny. <laughs> that, that's yeah, insane. Yeah. I was <laughs> I mean, but... one of the first things I was shown about 15 years ago by a couple of friends of the, that had a strong uh, real world violence background was they said one of the things and they've seen this happen more than one time is you get the flailer, right? And comes flailing at guy B. Guy B jacks him and knocks him out as they're approaching, gets knocked cold, but the their swing follows through and hits him on the back of the head, knocks them out cold. They yeah. both go down on their back. And then the guy that was flailing wakes up and gets up. He's like, yeah, I kicked his ass. You know, he was completely <laughs> unconscious when that arm made contact. Like there was... You know, and it's it's ridiculous looking. It's absurd. But this is the kind of stuff that goes on, you know, that really Mm -hmm. happens. And, um, you know, even if Guy B was a total like an accurate boxer and he he landed that thing in clean and tight. But that flailing arm, you got to count for it. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, uh, it's it's just funny. It's and you anybody who looks at at fights and and ambushes and assaults that are on video you just see how absurd and chaotic they tend to be um yeah yeah. and to me that's where you know the the grappler stuff can mitigate a lot of that flailing business uh you know Mm -hmm. dropping low getting underneath because all the flailing attacks are usually aimed at the head they're mostly aimed at you drop level and you close in and dump somebody and but even from an aikido perspective tristan we shouldn't be waiting Exactly. To come to us, it's not like, uh, uh, yeah, it's. You, we, you used to see us a lot in soccer, and uh, it's where, certainly, as you know, as a Dallas Cowboys football fan, I'm used to seeing it as well, where that ball gets pitched downfield and there's nobody on the end of it because they're not actually moving for it. Right. right. <laughs> you know, although we we've got Dak Prescott, he can't even get it downfield, but um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or he can't just not FedEx or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a week late and it's been kicked <laughs> up and down. Uh, it's broken. Uh, but the 
one of the worst things that you used to do as a soccer player was stand and wait for the midfield to kick the ball to you so you could do something with it. Mm-hmm. You have to be in motion to intercept the ball, whether it's soccer, whether it's football, even in baseball, if the ball's moving, it's not mm-hmm. going to, if everybody in outfield stood there waiting for the ball to come, it'd be a pretty boring game. Right. You know what I mean? With nobody moving. And it's the same in martial arts. We have to be able to understand the, the simple concepts of if we remain static, we are a static target. Mm-hmm. The chances of you moving into a punch are a lot less than the chances of you being hit by a punch by standing static. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we'd have in Aikido that sets us apart, as I said earlier, is this entering turning scenario. So as you said, the flailing arm with the boxer, if the boxer stands, gets his guard up, throws that nice hook or that cross, smacks him in the head and still gets hit. Now, I've also seen that apply to karate. I could also oh, see yeah. that apply to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But within an Aikido element, just like the grappler, one of the things Osensi was quoted on, and I can't remember what book it was in, is that you should be at the centre of a whirlwind. You should never be standing in one place. You should always be moving, which reflect. I'm trying to remember what book that's in now. I think it's in Budo. Um, it's, and it's certainly in one of his doka that he wrote about, you know, from a stable centre you know, mm-hmm. moving circularly. It's there, it's there. Everything's in there. But again, when you look at modern Aikido, nothing's happening on target and it's all happening. Your opponent's not trying to hit you. The attack is coming for you to intercept with your hand and effect out there at the extension of the arm. Mm-hmm. At no point do I, or do I, or I rarely see attacks that are designed to hit someone in the head. Mm-hmm. And then they have to adjust their body or they're going to get smacked in the face. And uh, a lot of the guys in my club have got a wee bit of a reputation for doing that at courses um, because that, that's how we train. If, if you're going to hit me, hit me. Don't, hit, don't extend your arm for my hand to hit and intercept. Actually come for me and we'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Aikidoka, we, are able to, we should be able to turn and rotate. So even if we do have flailing arms, we're either moving closer to it before it gets full impact or we're moving in the opposite direction from it, away from that point of impact. So when we do movements, for example, even just intercepting up with basic, you know, open-handed, uh, an interception for Ikkyo, that right hand can also be a strike at the same time. We're either moving inside the attack or round the side of the attack. And it's one of those few martial arts that actually accomplishes that quite well, that in wrestling, mm-hmm. where you get immediately inside the arm of the attack and those flailing arms are just going to flop over the top of you. Right. You know, as you pick someone up. And once you break inside that guard, particularly for the big flailing attacks and the big swinging kicks, they're absolutely no danger to you at all. In fact, they're more dangerous to the person flailing them because you're moving with your body mass forward mm-hmm. into a, a wild swing which is actually going to cause more damage to them more likely than it is to you. Mm-hmm. Because once that wild, I mean, if I move my 17 stone bulk forward and somebody throws a punch and it hits the side of my shoulder, well, I've got 17 stone coming forward. That's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. That's not going to hurt me. That's going to hurt them. I'll be bruised in the morning, but they're going to feel that way more than I am in that moment, particularly if I'm moving in to do something nasty. Right. You know, one of the things, too, if if you could put it in the top five, probably in the top three principles of hoplology, it's a moving target is harder to hit. And yeah. I think that's universal. Any target that's sitting still, whether you're shooting archery or, you know, firearms, throwing a rock, hitting with a fist, anything that's not moving is going to be a lot easier to hit. So 
why not just stay moving? And it's not like you got to be running or the target's got to be moving super fast, but with any movement of any target, it's much more complex now to match the timing, match the, the trajectory, yeah. match, yeah. you know, all of those things. It's, it gets to be a lot harder. So, you know, I remember when I was, when I was doing my contact fighting, I would, it also occurred to me too, not only is it a benefit to stay moving, but if you want to start moving to initiate, you hide movement in movement. So if you're totally still, yeah, and then you start to move, your opponent's going to see that right away. But if you're mm -hmm. always moving around and they're just used to watching you moving and now you move forward, you can get mm -hmm. much farther without them even noticing just because, well, he's just always moving around. I just don't know where. So mm -hmm. it, there's a lot to, to that constant movement, almost like a shark, you know, always going through the water, always having, you know, water, uh, water going through his, his gills because uh -huh. he breathes, you uh -huh. know, always don't, he's not panicked, but he's always moving. Um mm -hmm. I think that that's a fundamental and whether it's, and this is a principle that applies to striking, grappling, you name it. You know, if you're standing still, you're much more vulnerable. And, you know, I've heard the arguments of, well, you want to pose a particular target because you want them, want that incoming strike to to target where you know you're going to be so that now you can yeah. make it. However, that's also gambling on you're fast enough and you're I was taking, going to say, yeah. you're, you're presuming yeah. that they're, you're going to see it, read it, and there's no deception, there's no feints, there's no misdirection. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff in there that's going to be uh, a risk because you don't know, yeah. you know. I I often, and I don't mean any disrespect to anyone when they say this, is that anyone who says, I, I usually find that someone who's never actually been in a genuine conflict most of the time mm -hmm. because nobody I know... I've had guys on again on courses and training say, right, drop your hands and present a big target. I'm like, you want me to present a target of my face mm -hmm. to that man's fist? I'm going to allow him to think he can hit me here. And the baby, you're going to do this and surprise him. I'm like, oh, right, okay, okay, right, okay. So I present a target and they take the target. Um, yeah, I often find that. In, those types of engagements, people don't think rationally. Mm. So it's, I drop my hands and present a target. And while I'm waiting for that, the southpaw comes in and smacks me in the side of my head. And yep. <laughs> down I go. Well, nobody saw that coming. Most people don't pull their hat. Contrary to popular belief, very few people do this when they go to hit you. Mm -hmm. um, they'll maybe make some threatening movements, but a lot of punches just kind of come at you very fast. It's, mm. um, yeah, there's a lot of kind of um, myth. I see taught in courses about how, you know, how you can defend yourself and present a target here. And even in karate tournaments, you know, we I, I used to get told, you know, double faint to the face and then go to the body. And I, I could never work out why mm -hmm. it didn't work <laughs> until I realized the threat isn't there. It was only when I stopped trying to do double faint and started to punch them twice in the face that they could pick up that intent. And by doing that motion, then I could draw them in because they wanted to counter me. Mm -hmm. So in fact, making a bigger target of myself, dropping my hands to draw somebody in for a face strike, actually I think works on a subliminal kind of um, instinctual, why are you putting your hands down there? I don't really want to hit that. You know, I don't really want to attack there. It's like... I sense a yeah. trap. <laughs> I sense a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, nobody wants to do that. And it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, unless they're, you know, very intoxicated, very stupid, in which case it's a 
big flailing punch that's going to come in anyway. Sure. And it doesn't matter what you do. You, you could be standing with, you know, a, a metal headpiece on, you know, like an, an, a knight's helm and still try and bloody punch in the head because they're not thinking straight. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. And I have challenged that before on a couple of courses I've been to is that, well, why would you want to present, why would you want to make a target of your face? Right. You know, it's, it's uh, of all the places you can get hit with a punch, the, the head is the last thing you want. And I was told, oh, but that's the draw. It's the quick takedown. And to, to which I replied, well, that's interesting because in order to track a punch to the head, an opponent has to control their strike from the moment of commencement right through the whole tracking process. They have to, their brain has to process this and they have to have the confidence to throw that punch dead on target within millimetres to make it effective. And all you have to do is that. And it goes off. They miss. So right. the head is not as tempting a target. You, you know, when they talk, talk about this, bring your hands up, make a target of your stomach. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, I was on a course. Right? The guy's got a knife. So bring your hands up and make a target of your stomach. Mm-hmm. off. No. <laughs> no. I'm not yeah. on a gut shot with a blade. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> why would we want to do that you know so he goes for the strike I'm like oh dear yeah <laughs> makes you wonder yeah it does well this has been a great conversation I think we've been going about 90 minutes so uh oh, wow we could be just keep talking all all afternoon or evening I'm sure so uh is there anything you wanted to kind of wrap up with for in terms of Aikido and, and training with grappling uh, we... well just uh, anyone listening folks if you get the chance to do it go and do it uh Try and engage with some grappling arts. Get out there and meet some BJJ guys. Preferably get some wrestlers because they'll teach you stuff you didn't even know you needed to know. And just have some fun with it. Don't be afraid to get back to, you know, back to basics and just look at yourself from a perspective of, you know, is there gaps in my training? Is there gaps in my how I apply my Aikido and how can I fill those gaps? I'm not saying fill it with wrestling. I'm saying find out how your Aikido in you is weak because we're all different. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Some people will, have, will be shy of accepting strikes. Some people will be shy of accepting grapples. Uh, just get out there and do what you can and make the most of your Aikido for you because every single person's Aikido is very individual and very different. And we need to learn to apply it to ourselves. And that's something I, c- I can never express that enough is that how we train is very individualistic. We'll have our own sets of forms. We'll have our own particular way of standing. We'll have our own particular way of moving. And we have to make it work for ourselves. So, you know, don't worry about everybody else is doing with theirs. Get out there, experience more stuff. And I guarantee you, as long as you go at it with an open mind and look at how it can improve your Aikido, your Aikido can only get better. Absolutely. And I hope if anything, if anything is taken away from this, from our discussion is that really Aikido is a grappling art it's a standing grappling art um there's a lot that you can play with in learning about grappling without just having to sprawl on the ground and have you know be tangling around with people that way i find that that it's it's easy to look at grappling as just being you know groundwork which can be kind of miserable like you were saying it's you're dealing with a lot of weight a lot of muscle a lot of strength Mm. but there there's more to the grappling realm than that and so we are we aikido people are part of that realm just Mm -hmm. a portion of it just expand your portion get comfortable with with uh with more opportunity and it Mm -hmm. it is a blast to learn i really enjoy it 
And also, just to point out, it's not a one-way street here because when right. we use techniques like the kind of unbendable arm, the kind of heavy body style stuff that we do as well, and some of the techniques that we utilize, a lot of the guys that we would train with, I know a lot of guys in BJJ have said, I've learned a hell of a lot from you. You know, just I didn't realize that that was an option for me there until you twisted my arm. And all I did was rotate their arm 180 degrees. It didn't occur to them that that could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it allowed them to combat that themselves. So it's a two-way street. And it's important that we remember that, is that when we engage with other martial arts, <clears throat> we've got a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. But I think we tend to feel a bit shy about it. Yeah, it's not about modesty. It's just like, I, th- I think there's a there's been a recent movement. I think people are almost ashamed that they do Aikido sometimes and they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to show what it can do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of martial arts out there can benefit from the skills we've got, you know, uh, particularly from a standing perspective. Mm-hmm. In-can movement, how to drop your body. Suwari Waza movement, really good for guys who do groundwork grapple because it helps them get used to moving with a stable base. Mm-hmm. You know, th- th- this is groundbreaking for some of these guys. They've never seen it before. So don't be afraid to share your skills. And that will raise the profile of Aikido in the community as well. You know, it's, it, it's funny because that's going on. Uh, I've seen multiple videos now of Brazilian jiu-jitsu people teaching on YouTube wrist locks like Nikios and Sankyos, and they love them, but they'll never mention that they came from Aikido. They'll never no. mention it in a million years. Um, but they can appreciate the effectiveness and how that it works. You know, it's mm-hmm. a little disappointing that so, it's got so many technical problems with it, but... I do applaud the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community for understanding things that work and adapting them, even if yeah, they yeah. begrudgingly, uh, kind of like they did with leg locks. I heard that they went through sort of that thing with the wrestlers. They initially hated them, and then they realized they were effective, like, well, maybe we should kind of learn a few of these, and they warm up to it after time. But uh, it's funny. But so Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu people, I see you out there. I know you're doing it. I know you're stealing Aikido stuff, and you don't want to admit it. but um, it's still funny. So, well, thank you very much, Stephen. This has been yet another great conversation. Uh, I was looking forward to this one. I'm glad we were able to hook up and, and get it to happen. So, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much. And for everybody else, you know, until next time, uh, another great discussion. Enjoy your training.
Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.